This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Xenophobia is dislike or prejudice against people from other countries. We've seen this a lot, but over the past couple of years during the COVID-19 pandemic, bigotry and prejudice against foreign nationals have only risen. But why are people xenophobic? What role do politicians and capitalism play in it? I'm Dashran Johan and this is Today I Learn. On the show with me today is Assistant Professor Dr. Karim Batash. He's a lecturer in social psychology and global political economy at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Welcome to the show, Karim. What exactly is xenophobia? And Karim, how is it different from racism? Uh, hi, Dashram. Uh, glad to be back. Well, xenophobia, you could say, is is what we literally it means the fear of the other. Okay? Right. So as opposed to racism, which is not natural and very recent, xenophobia does seem to be rooted in a natural human tendency. That is that people are naturally more wary of strangers as compared to people they know. The question is, how do we classify people as strangers? This is something that changes over time. So, for example, when human beings were hunter-gatherers, simply being a member of a different tribe meant that you are a stranger. While people of a different tribe looked the same, such as skin color, hair color, etc., their outfit or language was different. And therefore, on the basis of these characteristics, people were judged as a stranger and you would see xenophobia. Later on, for example, we got large world religions, such as the Islam, Judaism, Christianity, and people based being a stranger on religious beliefs, okay, from that moment on. Mm. And very recently, racism was invented during European colonialism, where people of different skin color were classified as the other, and based on such skin color differences, people became xenophobic. So xenophobia is the human tendency to be fearful of people who are classified as the other. However, the classification itself, such as racism or religious beliefs, changes over time, and are based on cultural constructions. Right. Um, so when, when you mentioned like, you know, how um, the classification changes over time, um, it does, does this also include like um, nationalities or does that tie into racism? Well, it, it definitely includes nationalities. It includes pretty much any categorical distinction on which we uh, uh, deem human beings as the other. Okay, that can be based on nationality. That can be even based on sexual differences. Racism mm. is just one of the classifications we use to consider someone as the other. Right. So um, is there like a history of xenophobia? Can we point to how it all began? Um, yeah. So if we want to understand xenophobia, we can simply look at the animal kingdom. Of course, most appropriate would be to look at the behavior of primates, eh, of the apes. Chimpanzees, for example, become highly alert and nervous when they encounter chimps from another tribe. 
but also other animals show uh, the same wariness when they see fellow species members from a different tribe. Think about, for example, wolves or lions and the fact that they claim and defend their territory from each other. So we can confidently say that it began very, very early. However, that does not mean that it is good or still adaptive. Something that may have worked once can be highly destructive in a different time. In modern times, it does not make sense anymore to judge people as a stranger based on tribal features such as religions because our complex societies now are highly diverse. Mm. It also doesn't make sense anymore to judge people as racially different because of superficial characteristics such as skin color in complex societies where you have people of all different colors. And finally, it also does not make sense anymore to engage in territorial disputes like when we were hunter-gatherers while we now have nuclear capabilities and other modes of mass destruction. From a psychological perspective, what causes um, people to be xenophobic? Yeah, in, in psychology, you could say we call this minimal group paradigm, which means that it does not matter on what basis you create a categorical distinction. The moment you create a category, people will start to become more wary of outgroup members and show more favoritism to in-group members. So any categorical distinction will do. That is, if I, for example, stand in front of the class and I will divide people based on any nonsense characteristics, let's say based on people with a backpack and, and based on people with another type of bag, then immediately both groups will start to show in-group favoritism and out-group derogation, okay? So the moment I divide people into two different groups based on any characteristic, they will start to show in-group favoritism and a kind of disfavoritism or derogation towards the out-group. This is an exceptionally powerful tendency of human beings that is very universal, meaning you see it among all human beings all over the world. However, again, the categorical distinctions are socially constructed. They are made up by us and they change over time. Race, for example, was non-existent during most of human history. The Romans and the Egyptians, for example, had rulers of all skin colors. Race, like we know it today, did not exist yet. Just as today, we do not judge, for example, having freckles or being tall as a categorical distinction. However, the moment you start to highlight these arbitrary categorical distinctions, in particular when influential people do it, who are in power, such as politicians, people will start to become xenophobic based on these uh, distinctions. If people in power, for example, would consistently portray people with freckles as the other and different, you would get the same problem as racism or, for example, Islamophobia, towards people with freckles. It is that powerful. Putting people into categories inevitably creates xenophobia. Right. Um, earlier you mentioned that, you know, um, let's say if you look at racism, it is something that is completely man-made. But 
the the internal feeling of uh, fear of the other is something we develop naturally. Um, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on it? Why why do we have that in us? Um, that this fear of the other is it a survival sort of thing that that we have? Yeah, like I said, the 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 um, um the tendency to be xenophobic eh, can be already. Uh, uh, trace back to to uh, our primate mm-hmm. ancestry. Okay. However, the fear of the other we have based on any distinction is not natural. So that is the problem. What we often have we 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 naturalize the the the, the fear we have of a specifically socially constructed category. That part is not natural. Like I said before, it simply depends on who is deemed as the other which is extremely arbitrary and fluid. It can change any moment. You see it with geopolitical events. The moment Muslims were portrayed as the other during George Bush's horrible war on terror, you saw all over the world that Muslims suddenly became stigmatized. You see it now in India as well, where the government has riled up extreme hatred towards Muslim minorities. Societies that have been harmonious for hundreds or even thousands of years can suddenly become divided by focusing on a social category and portraying that category as different from other groups of people. The European colonial powers were exceptionally efficient in abusing this human tendency. Okay, so there is this natural tendency to be fearful of the other, but the classification, who is the other, is something that is very, very flexible. Now, the British, for example, would divide nations up, such as Malaysia, and pit different groups that were once harmonious against each other so that they would become xenophobic to each other based on the socially constructed categorical distinctions such as religion, skin color, or the ridiculous idea of race. Until today, you see in Malaysia, for example, that different ethnic groups are portraying each other as the other because they have been pitted against each other during colonial times by their colonial oppressor. Hmm. Now, another thing that is interesting is that xenophobia always, um, you know, when we look at, for example, Malaysia, it's always there um, since growing up until now. I always hear um, certain things like uh, parents will say, okay, uh, you know, you need to avoid the Bangladeshi workers. Um, you know, these Africans who come here, uh, you know, we, they, are, they are here to steal from you um, or scam you and things like that. So we, we hear this a lot. But why is there like a massive increase, um, at least from my observation, just from the readings I've done um, during, for example, the, the COVID-19 pandemic? Or, you know, when we see like that the country is going through a financial crisis, for example, suddenly the, the hatred towards some um, foreign nationals and all increase so rapidly. Well, why do we see a rise in xenophobia during hard times? Right. Well, two reasons come to mind immediately. Mm. One, when there is resource scarcity, we start to become competitive, okay? We start to compete to get our hands on stuff that is important to our survival. Number two, who do we protect first when there is resource scarcity uh, uh, and when we are in a competitive environment? Well, 
our kin, people close to us. In the first place, this is, of course, close family. But on the group level, these are people who are classified. And here we go again. I use the word classified because this is an arbitrary and flexible distinction, like I said before. So on the group level, we protect people who are classified as being close to us. Often these people are in reality not close at all, but we are made to believe that they are close to us based on nonsense characteristics such as skin color or race. And as long as people in power and the media system see benefit in making you believe that you are part of a group and different from other groups, many of you will engage in competitive behavior towards those who are classified as different and you will act protectively towards those who are classified as the same as you. And the moment you have resource scarcity, who will you, of course, protect? Those who are classified as the same and immigrants or outgroup members, people who are classified as the other, will, of course, bear the brunt of the situation when we are, well, felt to believe that there is resource scarcity that can be during uh, uh, natural disasters disasters like COVID, but it can also be, for example, when people when people in power are saying, hey, you are there are not enough jobs, and they will start to blame people from hey, immigrants, people from other groups as taking away their jobs. Okay, so resource scarcity and our belief who are part of our group and who are out groups really, really influence the, the, the rise of xenophobia during these, uh, these kind of uh, t- uh, turbulent times. On the show with me today is Assistant Professor Dr. Karim Patash. He's a lecturer in social psychology and global political economy at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. After the break, we are going to be talking about the way Malaysia um, puts foreign national into two categories, um, expats and foreign workers, and how that can contribute to xenophobia. We'll be back with more on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Assistant Professor Dr. Karim Batash. He's a lecturer in social psychology and global political economy at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And we're talking all about xenophobia. What causes it? Um, so, Karim, um, before the break, we mentioned people in power a number of times. And I want to zoom in on that. Um, what role do um, polit- politicians or the political landscape um, play when it, uh, you know, when it comes to causing the rise of xenophobia and more importantly, why, if they do play a role um, in, in causing a rise in xenophobia, why do they do it? Well, how does it benefit them? Yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good question. And, and, and I could write multiple papers on this. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be a, I, I tried to keep it short, but I think there's going to be a relatively long answer. Right. Xenophobia is one of the best tools to keep people divided, okay? The colonial powers, for example, knew this very early on. By separating people based on superficial characteristics, such as skin color, and then assigning qualities to these features, people started to believe that they were different from each other based on these ridiculous classifications. We are only different based on culture and nothing else. So... Xenophobia had multiple advantages to people in power, okay? Number one, xenophobia made sure that people in the colonies, and now in modern times, the working class, 
would stay divided and not join hands to rise up against a colonial or capitalist elite. Political elites have historically enriched themselves while most people in their societies live relatively impoverished lives. One of the biggest fears is that these people will rise up against their oppressors because these people, of course, have the numbers. By keeping them divided and hating each other, they will not join hands and overthrow their oppressors. It is that simple. And it's amazing how easily people are manipulated by those in power to blame each other instead of their oppressors for their bad situation. That is number one. Number two, xenophobia diverts the blame. By blaming people of a different religion, race, or skin color for one's troubles, political elites can make you think that bad situations are not because of mismanagement of your political leaders, but because of people classified as the other. Take COVID-19 as an example. In the US, China and Chinese people were blamed and a large part of the country started to blame people who look Chinese. This was an exceptionally efficient way to have people focus on Chinese people instead of the total mismanagement of the US government in helping people deal with COVID. The US is now at approximately 800,000 COVID deaths. It is approaching 1 million deaths due to COVID. Keep this in mind, the richest, most powerful country in the world is experiencing mass death of its population because the government cannot deal with COVID in an efficient way. Mm. A crucial moment, therefore, that could spark an uprising of the population. But it does not happen. Why? Well, because people blame others such as immigrants or Chinese people. And here you go again, you see the powerful effects benefiting the elites of the social categorization of people. Number three, and I will, keep, I will leave it at that, otherwise it becomes very long. <laughs> Number three, xenophobia and categorization benefits exploitation. Using xenophobia benefited the exploitation of people in the colonies, for example. By portraying non-white, non-European people as different and subhuman, it was justified to oppress and exploit them because as Europeans, you could simply think that it was natural to rule over people who, can, who cannot do it themselves. And you also see it in modern times. Think about 9-11. 9-11 killed uh, approximately 3,000 people, a bit under 3,000 3, people. A terrible event, don't get me wrong. And it mm -hmm. was highly traumatic for those who, uh, those who were involved. But compare that with almost 1 million deaths due to COVID mismanagement in the US. Yet 9-11 was highlighted as one of the worst events in modern history and repeatedly blamed on the whole Muslim community around the world. This was extremely beneficial to those in power, such as Bush, but later on other presidents as well, including Obama, to engage in a total destructive rampage in the Middle East, killing millions of Muslims. In Iraq alone, according to some estimates, more than two million innocent civilians lost their lives due to U.S. imperialism. 
Compare that to approximately 3,000 deaths during 9-11. Yet no one talks about U.S. state aggression. But people all over the world talk about terrorism related to Muslims. Why? Because media and political elites have a way to rile up xenophobia by continuously portraying Muslims in a certain way. Think about Hollywood or net, Hollywood movies or Netflix series. To such an extent that people start to dehumanize Muslims and stop caring about Western aggression in the Muslim world. So that was the, the, the third point I want to say, and I'll leave it, uh, I'll leave it at this. Right. And what's, um, you know, also uh, um, sticks out to me like a sore thumb, um, and this is uh, very unfortunate, is that, you know, what, everywhere it, it seems to be that, you know, either minorities or people who come from poorer countries are the, one who, are the ones who will always face the brunt of xenophobic attacks. Um, for example, in Malaysia, um, you know, you see a lot of uh, parents or aunties and uncles and just people, people you know, saying things like uh, the, the, the Bangladeshi workers or the Rohingya refugees, they are the worst, they are here to steal our jobs and, and so on and so forth. Um, nobody says the same things about, um, you know, the, for the, the foreign national who comes from, from the US or from the UK or from Australia. When they come to Malaysia, nobody says anything. Um, and like you gave the example earlier in the US, um, you know, the there was this thing about you know the Chinese virus and and they became the target um, previously after 9/11 the Muslims became the target both are minorities in the US um, the Chinese um, they, a lot of them they come uh, they immigrate to the US because they are they are looking for better job opportunities and so on and so forth so why do these people um, always face the brunt of xenophobic attacks right. So as a social psychologist and political scientist, I blame this on the asymmetrical flow of culture due to capitalism. Right. When you have, when you have the means to spread your message, such as the U.S. and its dominance in the global media system, think about Google, Meta, YouTube, Netflix, etc., then you have the power to shape the way people think about others. This is why people blame Muslims more than Europeans for violence even though violence coming from Muslim extremism is tiny compared to the multiple wars the U.S. is waging or the global suffering resulting from colonialism. Like I said before, how come that such a small amount of people around the world seem to care about the millions of people dying in the Middle East due to Western aggression? Is it because people are all evil and racist? Or is it because of the way we are shaped to think? Well, here we touch on the asymmetrical flow of culture and therefore the reason why poor countries are always the victim. Iraqi people and Muslims around the world in general do not have the same means like capital and the media system to spread their message to convince people of their humanity and show people that they are victims of severe Western aggression. At the same time, the West uses its tremendous media power to continuously portray these Muslim countries as so-called the axis of evil and Muslims as culturally backwards. This asymmetry in cultural influence through capital and the media system 
shapes asymmetric forms of xenophobia. It is very important for people to become aware of this, how the mainstream media is often manipulating the way you think. That is, who to like and who to hate. And they do this very, very efficiently in a way that seems normal and natural to you, but it is not. Okay, so it can be, for example, you even watching Netflix series and certain people are portrayed as the criminal, you know, dangerous, and other people as the heroes. Always check how are people portrayed and how does that influence the way you think. Now, Karim, I want to zoom in on a uh, uh, perhaps an issue that is uh, specific to Malaysia. Um, because in Malaysia, um, you, you've stayed here, uh, you know, bef- uh, now you are based in Hong Kong, but you stayed in Malaysia for, for quite some time. Um, in Malaysia, as you um, are probably aware, um, foreign nationals who come to the country um, for work, for example, are divided into two categories, um, expats and also foreign workers. Um, you know, usually people who come from Europe, um, from the US, from Australia and all these countries are considered expats. Um, and then people who come from Bangladesh and, and, and all of, uh, you know, from Nepal and all of that, or from Myanmar, from Indonesia, they're considered foreign workers. Um, what, you know, when you were staying here, what did you make of these distinctions? Um, and do these distinctions contribute to xenophobia? Yeah, so a very good question, and and this touches exactly uh, on what I just said. People in power shape asymmetrically the way you think about other people by portraying people differently and creating categories for different people and assigning different qualities to these categories. You can shape the way people look at others. Expats versus immigrants or foreign workers is such a way. Expert is usually reserved for white ethnic Europeans and, of course, sometimes the odd Westerner of color or people of color from high socioeconomic status. The rest of the people are called immigrants or foreign workers. By assigning different qualities to these categories, you shape the way people think about these groups. Immigrants are from poorer backgrounds and usually easy targets to stigmatize. So they bear the brunt of xenophobia. Expats are usually immigrants with money and influence, and therefore no easy targets for the blame game, and as such do not feel stigma as immigrants do. This is extremely unfair, okay? And one can see it in in Malaysia, where white privilege is a serious phenomenon. And I can speak for this. I come from the Netherlands. My mom is white. My dad is Algerian. When people look at me, they see an European. I can pass as as, as a European white guy. I can feel the privilege myself. And this is very unfair. Why? Well, for example, European colonialism has done terrible, terrible things. But somehow in Malaysia, when you look white, you get treated with so much privilege. Yet when one looks let's say African or Indian, hmm? the the people groups Mm. who have historically done much less damage to Malaysia as a society, the treatment by people becomes very different and most often quite negative. This is, of course, ridiculous, especially when we consider history. 
but this is what classification of people does and the way people in power and the media play a role in this. What are the long-term consequences of xenophobia on entire communities who have felt the brunt of these attacks? Well, we see the long-term consequences based on racism created during colonialism, for example. This stupid idea of racial groups was created approximately 500 years ago and continues to influence us until today. As a child, you just feel like an individual. Okay? You're just an individual kid. But by becoming older and growing up in this world, you are increasingly pushed into a category based on the way you look. And this was invented some hundred years ago by unscientific people who were colonial oppressors. Take two adopted brothers, for example, okay? Take this example like, like, a, like a kind of, uh, uh, put this in your mind. Try to, try to imagine this, okay? We have two adopted brothers. One of the brother is white. The other brother is black. Two adopted brothers, okay? They, 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 one white, one black. They grow up in the same family. They grow up in the same culture. They have similar personalities even and similar hobbies. Yet, over the years of growing up, they are both lumped into two different categories based on the unscientific ideas that, were, that came from colonial oppressors some hundred years ago, some a couple of hundreds of years ago, resulting in one of the kids identifying as black or one of the boys identifying as black and the other identifying as white. Okay, They are similar, come from the same family, they're brothers, everything is similar, but one is identified as black, the other identified as white. From that moment on, the world assigns completely different qualities to both of them, resulting in them getting treated completely differently, even though they are very, very similar. So the black brother suffers severe xenophobia, while the white brother experiences the privilege of whiteness. Again, the two brothers are almost the same, yet the world treats them vastly differently based on their outside appearance. This is the long-term power of xenophobia. That is, the categories that were created that induce xenophobia last for hundreds of years and influence the individual lives of every human being today. Hmm. Now, Karim, as we wrap this conversation up, I do have a final question on overcoming this fear. Um, some people, like, like you said, a lot of this is controlled by um, global media, um, mainstream media. It's controlled by politicians who have agendas and all of that. So for a lay person who are just, you know, the, their, their, their perspectives are shaped by these um, media, by the politicians and all of that. Um, and they have this fear in them. You know, they are fearful of, in let's say in Malaysian context, again, they are fearful of the Bangladeshi workers. They are fearful of the, of the Nepalis who come, of the, of the people from Indonesia and India and all of this from Africa. Um, you know, they, they, they have this hatred, this dislike, this prejudice towards them. How do they overcome this? Yeah, this is. I wish that I wish I had a solution, uh, Dashran. Uh, <laughs> then maybe we we would have already solved the, the, oh, the this, this severe problem. <laughs> but I think this is very hard because often categories disappear, but new categories appear. So I am convinced, for example, 
that colonial racism, that is distinction based on skin color and the nonsense idea of race, will eventually disappear because it does not pose any benefit anymore like it did to Europeans in colonial times. Racism in modern times seems to tear societies apart. And eventually, I believe that harmonious societies will outcompete divided societies. So I'm sure eventually it will take a long time, but racism will disappear because it's just not very beneficial. And we already see the change. We already see the fierce resistance coming from people of color all over the world. We see, for example, a, care, uh, a call for the decolonization of universities and the school curriculum. We also see calls for more people of color in the media. We see Black Lives Matter also. And we see an urge, uh, a strong urge to discuss the horrors of colonialism. So it is clear that a reckoning with our racist past is finally really beginning. However, new categories always seem to arise. Eh? Think about trans people. Think about new immigrants groups. Think about LGBTQ. Think about liberal, conservative, and so forth. So people will always find new ways to judge each other, okay? And that is that human tendency. Yeah? The moment we mm. create categories, we start to judge. So the only advice I could currently give is to, for your audience and yourself and myself even, is to educate ourselves. Educate, educate, and educate yourself on the power of categorization and how it makes you judge other people, not based on their individual characteristic, but their group category which makes you mostly judge these people unfairly and wrongly. That's what I wanted to say. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Karim. My pleasure as always. That was Assistant Professor Dr. Karim Bachash. He's a lecturer in social psychology and global political economy at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. If you missed any part of our conversation, do subscribe to the Today I Learned podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.